Hey, what's good, people? This is the Option Podcast. This is episode 91. Got my dude Eric Ariola in the house. And the episode starts right now. You asked, you shall receive. And for me, I deliver because I've got to give the people, give the people what they want. Eric Hariola, what's up, babe? (laughs) He said it correctly. You even put a little extra in there. I appreciate it. I had to curl my R's. I had to roll my R's, right? You just woke up my ancestors. I appreciate that. Yes, that makes me Hassan DeBellis. This is episode 91. I'm Jason DeBellis. This is the Option Podcast. And before we got on the podcast, I remember you took a trip out here. We had dinner at um, at the Hard Rock, right? And um, yeah, in LA, over in LA. And I was like, and I knew because I was still new here when you came, like a year and a half or two years. Yeah, I think you were just um, there. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I concluded in order to get good food out here, you gotta spend the money. You you get your cheap on, you take your chances. And sometimes even when you spend money, man, you might get garbage too. But we, I don't know, we were hungry or something. Or, or if the food there at Hard Rock, they just, they, they're just... They're, oh, I thought it was really good. My no, because God, it was I, good. <laughs> like we were talking about before, I had been living there for a little while and just going to like some of the local places but not finding anything good. I went to this spot called New York Pizza. I was like, all right, it'll be home away from home. I went there and I was like, really... I was let down. I was depressed. Like, What'd you call it? What was the word? You, what? Show, sh- sh- you, you called it disrespectful. It was disrespectful. <laughs> it was, like, I, I got a picture of it. I got to dig for it. But it was like, it just looked horrible. But I said, let me try it, you know, but it was not good. <laughs> try again, LA. And I loved LA. Like, I thought I would I would have been back by now, but life just got busy. You know, then, things happened. But, um, but and then I know the whole world went to hell. Right. That too. That mm-hmm. was that was a part of it. But, you know, I went back to I went to L.A. a few years back. So now there's no mm-hmm. excuse. But um, yeah, but you just get busy. You know, I'm sure you know that life yeah. just happens. You know? Believe me, if I wasn't so busy, I'd probably get back into performing. Like, I mean, you know, I was balancing performing, coaching volleyball at the same time. And then, you know, um, another crash happened 10 years ago, uh, like 2008. And. You know, I needed some monetary means and um, City College, they offered me the men's position, like the head coaching job. So I took gotcha. that. And when, when you take a head coaching job, even if they list it as a part time position, you're, you're an NCAA coach, no matter what, Division One, Two II, and Three, there is no such thing as a part time. That's full time, man. You're recruiting, you're doing all these things. So, you know, and, and I'm doing high school. I was at Hunter High School and I'm doing clinics and I'm doing private lessons. So I kind of got sucked back into that. And I really haven't done a show since conceal her think about that i was gonna say and you were doing plays you know we did like that whole off off broadway play but it was such a good play actually that was on broadway we did the last show in queens but um i forgot the michael ingbar gallery is on houston and broadway (laughs) you're right no you're right you're absolutely you're right it was on broadway you're right um i had a great time it was a good time in my life i'm grateful for the experience and and yeah and i really miss your energy in that way because you're such a good actor and it's not just about what we do on the stage it's how we all got along it's how we all became like a family you know, so you miss that. You know, there's, that's what I love about acting in so many ways. Like, you really do become a family in such a short amount of time. Eric, there's nothing in the world like 
doing a performance with an ensemble cast mm. uh, uh, this this kind of play and and conceal her was like a showcase and a play so i mean we you know we got to be we got to be um upfront with that it was a play but not really it was a showcase but you had where well, we had lines you know what i'm saying we had characters so it's a play but there's nothing in the world like having a performance with an ensemble cast where it only works with everybody that forms this bond you know yeah. and then when the last show's over you have this you have i don't know withdrawals right you 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 start calling like like someone that someone that you're in the play with right that you never yeah. never talked to during the whole play you call them out and they're like hey what's good how you doing yeah. it's like you have this yeah and i mean social media has helped with all of that because you get to kind of see ta or keep tabs with people and for mm -hmm. me it was a play i know what you mean like a showcase but it was a play because i took it yeah. that we all took it that seriously like the, my, like if you really think about it like we put so much um discipline and effort just making sure that we showed up to rehearsals on time and doing our the work costumes. for me it just felt like you know it was yeah. a it was a it was a thing it was well a thing. for you yeah. you were one of the main characters if if i had to pick two main characters in this play it was the girl you were supposed to marry and uh, her, her name escapes gotcha. me she was she was magnificent uh, just having she to change really changing and out all these costumes like i mean it's like five costumes in this hour and a half play and i'm like man just yeah. make up boom 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 she's just you know getting beat up behind the room just ain't thrown back in and has to perform like everything's all right so but if yeah. there were two main characters it was you and her um i was if i was your i was the f potential father-in-law I think. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. And we yeah. had, um, I did the understudy, Alexandra uh, Kopko at the second half, and and that really cool chick from Wisconsin, just like never, oh, yeah. never let a man see your clumps or some some crazy was, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, she was really memorable. I mean, yeah. I don't so, know. I just I missed those times. I'm glad that I was gonna say I'm glad they're over. I don't know why. I just think mm -hmm. that it was a difficult time. I was finishing school, working on that on that play showcase. I was filming a pilot at the time. So I'm like, oh my God, that was a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. Are you still and in the city? Like, yeah. Are you in the city huh? right now? Oh yeah, I still live in the Bronx. I don't know that I'll be moving anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes it's just like, like my life has changed a lot. Like I work at a, a read for a redistribution company. I've been there for the last four years. So it's like, you know, but still trying to keep my ear to the streets when it comes to like different opportunities and taking those up. But you know how it is. You got to really be in it to get something out of it, you know? And yeah, if you, and you- you halfway. And I think this is a very a difficult, uh, not difficult, but critical time for you in a sense that once you're out, it's almost like the door closes, right? And the and I the, agree, but then thank God for the advent of social media and yes. those kind of platforms and show like you can kind of create and you can kind of remind people. By the way, I'm still here. You yeah. know, I'm not dead. Um, yeah. So thank God for that. I mean, you still so do the right. egos. You yeah. managed to do the egos right during COVID. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we shot a few things. And a few different little things throughout Central Park and all that. And it was just a good way to keep that acting muscle. Because the one thing about that is like, you might see something like that and you might be like, oh, there's Central Park, but it helps keep you warm. So when the auditions come, the opportunities come, you're ready to go. You know what I mean? Because shortly after that, I shot like um, uh, a short film, an independent film. Christmas and in Florida. Huh? Was it Christmas in Florida or is that coming no, out? No, oh, we shot that like in, in later on. We shot that, I think like about in November. But okay. this was another, this was a short film that I shot in September and it should be coming out September of last year. But, you know, throughout the whole pandemic, you, they created this film and I thought it was a really important story to be told. And I played this mailman who decides to do the right thing. And so that's all I can, all I want to say about that because, but, um, but yeah. I thought it was good. And just being able to keep the juices flowing 
was helpful, you know, so mm-hmm. that I could land that role and do it. Yeah. Nice. Like, look, for this podcast, it would be nice if I did some chronology, like timelines, this and that. But again, since it's the option, uh, um, and since you, were, since it's you and me, we're kind of a, we kind of allow each other to do whatever we want. But so allow me to bounce back and forth. Um, mm-hmm. Homicide City, Charlotte. Tell me about that. Tell me about what uh, that play was about. I know, I know you were like a um, you're a search party volunteer or something like that. that was oh wait, 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 it wasn't a play. It was a, it was a crime show situation. Yes. But yeah, yeah, but it was um. Something that I had seen online. It's a, fun, a funny story. Like one time I had gotten chosen to do this crime show and I was going to play like some like leader of a cult or something like that. Um, of This guy who held like a lot of women in his home and just mm. built like a community. And my mom was like, no, no way. Uh-uh, not going to happen. And then one time I got cast in, in Blue Bloods and I was shooting at cops in, in the episode. And I'm thinking everybody's going to be not proud that I'm shooting at cops, but proud that I got an opportunity to be on TV. My dad saw it and was furious, furious. Yeah. So I say all that to say with Homicide, it was like I was playing this search party like uh, person and just helping to look for this lady that um, a lot of people in her community loved. And she ended up, you know, I don't want to ruin the episode, but she ended up dying. And um, so I did that and it was fun. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Hold on, actually, let's let's um do the real for... um. Uh-oh, no, <laughs> I wasn't that. ready. <laughs> no, that wasn't, that was... No. Oh, this is no. hilarious. Okay. This is a one of your reels or whatever. Fifty? Oh, yeah, I think, yeah. I think um, so, this wasn't what I wanted to show, but I want I wanted hey, to show Mark, the, the, the the scene from Mark. This is my first miracle. Come on, man. Yeah, I wanted I wanted to show the scene from um Oh Jesus Christ. Alright, I was looking for the scene from um Blue Bloods, like the shootout scene you were talking about. Oh, you were so. like right next to it. It's okay. Oh, was? Did I pass it? Yeah, I think it's like the third clip. Hot. So if you go to the beginning, there it is. Yeah, there it is. There it is. There it is. That's you right there. Get the right. Now, problem. Put him on the ground right now. On the like ground. Okay. All right. Don't shoot. <laughs> now I didn't see this episode. Oh, that was. I, 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 I gotta save that for later. I gotta save that one for later. Cause there's no nobody. No, it was fun. Actually, that was the first time my mom had ever come with me to set. My mom and my sister, mm-hmm. and we did this scene a thousand times, and it was like. But you know, I had like a really. You you say oh a good time about everything, but this one was like a really good one just because like when you work with professionals everything just goes like clockwork and, you, and you're left to really just be an actor i'm so used to doing my own thing and my that you got to worry about a thousand different things and then you can act mm-hmm. with this it's just to eric all you got to do is act you don't have to worry about the camera you don't have to worry about anything it was like a relief yeah, yeah. i've actually yeah. gotten a lot of roles over more experienced actors because the director and the casting director um, got this essence from me that I run, that I'm professional, that I run a title yeah. ship, you know? Um, yeah. I come to the audition on time, you know, they see I have, um, I'll put on my resume just like, whatever, like out, out um, non-related experience, like I served in the military and this and that, so, so they're like, okay, he has military experience, he could do this, he could do that, so I, um, outside, of, outside of Marymount, right after I graduated Marymount, I was doing shows for five straight years, <laughs> you know, I graduated 2007, um year 11 right yeah 2011 oh my god so um (laughs) yeah yeah so i started doing shows right right pretty much right out of it and a lot of it has to do with you're a real person you know what i mean like you say oh it's not related but i can't Mm -hmm. tell you how many things i see where they're looking for somebody with military army experience and just they they don't you can't replicate that Mm -hmm. if you've never really 
been through that. You know yeah. what I mean? So you bring but that you, to the table. But you have one too. You have an urban education, man. Like like coming out of Marymount. Marymount, I'm not saying it's a school for rich, fat, white girls or anything crazy like that. But, but um... Oh, I'm gonna <laughs> no, try to finish my laugh. thought. Let me try to finish my thought. Shit. Um, but people do want to hire people, actors who are just comfortable in their own skin. So you, I don't know if you went to Marymount where they made you tear down and rebuild, or just take the talent you have and use the Sanford Meisner or Stanislavski technique and and hone it and and direct it a direction they wanted you to go or you wanted you to go, but you you came out with two educations like Bronx. Remember Bronx Science? He's like, um, why why should you go to school? He's like to get two educations. He had one in the Bronx, and that's crazy. Bronx tale. As a kid growing up in the South Bronx, and you're, and you're in the Bronx, you live in the Bronx, so it's it's kind of it's kind of unique. So I knew it wasn't very hard for you to find work too. Plus Marymount. At the time we were there, they were ranked number two in the country in theater performance. It was them and Juilliard. Well, let me know? tell you this. So I didn't. I didn't graduate. I graduated with a degree in communication arts and business management. Um, okay. But I did that. I didn't. I didn't do theater because well, two reasons. Uh, I took acting classes there, but yeah. I didn't do theater because in in some ways I was kind of um, intimidated. I said to myself, "What if they don't think I'm talented enough? What's going to happen to me?" So I said, "Let me just go the other route." And I'm happy that I did that because you know I feel like I've been able to pull from the other things that I've learned at Marymount. Mm -hmm. But it was so good to for the first time be around people like like-minded people that really wanted to be artists and everything like that because that's what i needed to be around and then i also realized like i'm like i got this i can do it too you know in my own way you know like there was people like they were technically trained and then there was me the guy who showed up to all, every audition he could possibly get i did a lot in high school you know to to try to get into the industry and that helped too so i can't leave that out but um but all of those things combined and just being in that environment where a lot of people were doing it that was really helpful that was very very helpful I, and you were right to be intimidated because it is an intimidating place um yeah. i only got in because i was a first of all i was a returning adult student i came back i went back to school when i was 33 so oh, okay. so as far as being comfortable in my own skin uh, there's no such thing as being completely comfortable in your own skin, but I was more comfortable than most. The other thing is, I didn't know where they were ranked. I didn't know uh, um, how important it was to other people. I didn't know how much of a launching uh, thing it was for people's acting career just to be a student there. So mm -hmm. I auditioned unassumingly. If I knew all of those things going in, I, I would have, dude, I would have choked my ass off. <laughs> I would have choked. So, so yeah, I was in the BFA program and and um. Like you, I just wanted some independence outside of the, the theater program, and it was way too stressful for me to be in a BFA program, be on acting probation, have to try to work my way out or not, um, and be able to concentration in theater performance. I did my last two years because the most important thing was doing outside work during the academic year. And in Marymount, the BFA, you can't do outside work during the academic year. And for what you were doing, dude, you were, I mean, I. Man, you, I mean, even if you were part of the theater program, you probably, you probably did, you would have done more work away from school than you did in the, than in the school, in the TPWs, oh, you know, in the, in the directing project. So, yeah. For me, what was, what would have been, and I thought about, I remember thinking, okay, you can't do anything outside 
mm. of the school while you're in those, you know, school yeah. while you're in the program. And I was just like, Academic that's going to stop yeah. the hustle. It's mm-hmm. going to stop everything. And mm-hmm. and I felt like I couldn't gamble that. And I mean, to each his own, yeah. because some people make that decision and it pays off. But for me, it was like, I got to get my education, but I still have to be able to audition. I landed commercials while I was in school mm-hmm. and everybody's story is different. And I landed little projects here. Yeah. The day after graduation was when I started shooting my pilot. Um, but but why do you think so many people leave? Look, yeah. look, for the BFA, I think there's like 96 to 100 students the freshman year. By the time the senior year comes, they only have about maybe 25, 26 students wow. where they have two sections. And the, and that la- that senior year, it's two and a half hours twice a week. I couldn't I couldn't get out of work for that. An hour and 20 minutes, yeah, I could, you know, I could miss some, but but I was work I was also working at the same time. So so Listen, there's three reasons why people leave the program. One, by year two, they find out it's not for them, but they want to be in the business. They, maybe they want to be a casting director, or maybe they're just a dramaturg, maybe they're a director, or maybe they just want to concentrate more on musical theater, and this BFA thing is like for the birds. The second reason is I work during the academic year. Eugene Jones III, another guy lives in Harlem, close to where you live. He left school. To do, a, to do a film. He had to do a film. And then he did Mother Courage and Her Children with Meryl Streep and Kevin Klein. You know, a play that was during the academic year. <laughs> so, you know, so they need, either they need permission out of the wazoo or some, some kids, they're really, really good and they want to work now and they just leave the program. They, they, I don't, I'm, maybe even just leave the school altogether. So, so um, you know, Vladimir, somehow, some way, he, he's, yeah, he we sweated out all four years and he, you know, and still managed to balance stuff, you know. And I, I don't even think he was in the BFA program. I thought he was BA. Um, Rachel Perez, uh, she she left just before you came. Um, the best actor I've seen in any high school or college or conservatory program, male or female, the best actor I've ever seen. I, I mean, I'm a prisoner of the moment. I'm going to say in my life, I'm wrong, of course, but only because I'm thinking about her. You know when you're thinking about someone? <laughs> no, you right? when, her Yeah, like when, when LeBron dunks on someone, like, dude, that's the best dunk I ever saw in my life. But it really isn't, right? There are others. You're, you're, yeah. just, you're just like, you know, prisoner of the moment. Rachel Perez. You, yeah. she's on. Hey, she was on the podcast. Just look up the option, okay. Rachel Perez. Everything you need to know about that woman. She did a scene with glass, broken glass on the floor. Um, um, bear with me on this one. I'm gonna give you the floor in a minute because I have a, I have an important theater question for you or a film. She, there was a scene where some someone breaks into the house and he starts throwing stuff around. He threw a bottle of Jim Bean, like some hard liquor, and this he threw the bottle a hundred times. But glass, glass is like Kevlar. When you when it hits the ground and it doesn't break, it gives you a one off. Meaning, mm-hmm. like the next time you do that, it's probably gonna shatter. You know, it's gonna shatter into a million pieces. So he threw it, and it shattered into a million pieces. One scene later, we didn't have time to get all the glass up. Um, she was doing a rape scene. The guy threw her on the floor, and and where he threw her on the floor was where the broken glass was. And she's on her back. She's trying to resist, and he's like beating her up and this and that. And she's trying to move, and while she's moving, all of these pieces of glass is just like, like just ma- absolutely mauling her back. And in between Act One and Act Two. We had these little tweezers and we're getting all the shards of pieces of glass outside of her back. And she's just trying to concentrate because she's she's the main in an ensemble cast. The, the, the play the play was called fucking a Susan Laurie Parks, one Pulitzer, you know, whatever is at the public theater. Um, and the whole time they were moving glass from her back. <laughs> whatever. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I guess 
that was the interesting question I wanted to ask you for uh, plays or films. Where there was, do you remember a story where you had there was a particular adjustment that you had to make that probably could have broke your broken your concentration? Is there? Is there? Um, I mean, maybe not on that level. You like Jay, man? You gave me the standard. No, no, no. I mean, I think as actors, we all go through that, you know. And it happens sometimes in the moments that you don't expect it. I can think of the first time I ever got on camera. I had been so used to like doing theater, 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 like in high school. And then all of a sudden they turn on the camera and I'm like, how do you deal with this? How do you do this? How do you convey? And you're not looking at the camera. You're talking to this person. And then you become so much more conscious of every movement that you're making because you realize in theater, you have to be so big. But in film, you have to slow it down. You have to have a moment, a break, a pause. And I, and I just got so in my head. And then I had to learn how to break out of that and just learn how to be in the moment because I could do that as a comedian, but it didn't transfer over into into like film till later on. So I remember just being like a deer in headlights. Like we had to walk across in the scene and the director's like, walk. And all of a sudden I forgot how to walk. I was just like, oh my God, what am I like going? It was so bad. Oh my goodness. Look, and I think as actors and I can speak for myself, like we have bad moments, but all the bad moments kind of lead to where you are. Like I thought about the last project I worked on and somebody came up to me and said, you killed that scene. You And I'm like, that didn't happen by coincidence. Look, some people do it overnight. Some people it takes years. But um, to get that to me was it was all worth it. You know what I mean? All the work, all the doubts, all the everything, all the negative things kind of came into that one positive moment where somebody says, we appreciate your work. I was like, what? I didn't say that in there. I just said thank you at the moment. But I was just like, if only you knew. If only you knew. Yeah. When did that moment really come? When did that moment come where you um, got rid of the, the that first first timer stage fright all right you're over you're through that and now you're in the scene and now you're in another another whatever and now you're in this and you're working and you're working was there a particular defining moment albeit maybe even your high school life that or 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 something that you did um post uh post um childhood was there a particular play or a particular scene where you told yourself um i think i could do this for real I think um I think this is who I am and I think this is what I want to do for the rest of my life until I die. It's so funny. I always thought like that I could do it. It wasn't until later on, you know, you start telling people this is what I want to do and you start hearing the voices, you start hearing the doubt. Um I remember working one day I was a, a background extra on this commercial. Um and the director said, "Oh, I need all the guys to line up. I need you guys to line up. I need you to make this face. Look into the camera and make this face." And I'm in there and I'm like, you know, all she lines up all the guys and we all do this face. And then she's like, you, you and another guy come. And so we go with her and then she has us do it again. And she's like, OK, she tells the other guy, I'll see you later. And then she's like, I want you. I want you to do that face, do it on camera. And I was just like, I really felt like because, you know, up until that point, I was the only one that thought I was talented until she and I, and there's been other moments. But that's the one that stands out in that in that um commercial was a little known actor at the time of Donald, by the name of Donald Glover. And I had, I, we didn't even know each other at the time. And now he's Childish Gambino. He did the vo voice of Simba and Lion King. Like he's done, a, he's a rapper, he's done a lot. But at that time it was just like, I didn't know it then. And then we ended up, she ended up calling us back because we were the last two guys or whatever. She ended up calling us back to do other commercials. Then that's when he and I kind of like we're cool and i was like you're the guy that got that was almost gonna get chosen and then i got chosen but we were just as good and then he was nice to me and everything like that and i was just like it, it taught me so many different lessons believe in yourself follow directions 
because people are can be you know like can be specific and if you allow the nerves to overtake you you're not going to hear you know what i mean and be nice to everybody unless they're not nice to you no even then you should still be professional but you just never know you know the person that's an extra today and i've worked on the production side so the pa today could be the director tomorrow and i try to treat everybody like that. i try to try how about all right how about parental support how um as far as moral support my guess is that your mom dad or or just um dad mom for me it was mostly my mom and then my stepfather um my guess is your mom is a holy roller or she's neat and clean for eugene where like some of the scenes that you have to do might be violent might might make them uncomfortable and this and that so first of all am i right about your parents and second um at what point did they did they come around and say hey you know what let me just this this is my son i love him i want to support him with um yeah are you right look I don't want to get in trouble. Um, I'll say that you're right. Somewhere right. No, I think my parents care about what I'm putting out there. You know what I mean? As I've gotten older, I've had to learn like that. I can't lead by that. But then it just, I always thought, you know, what is that? Once I get older, I won't care. And then you start having nieces and nephews and you're like even more conscious of the things that you're doing and or saying. But you make a choice and you say, this is something that I want to do. And thankfully, like, a lot of my roles haven't been that crazy. You know what I mean? I mean, if I really look back, I could say there's some stuff, but it wasn't really that bad. <laughs> concealer but, uh, is probably the one that made you know what? Or if I think about concealer, like, nope, like, are you kidding me? But um, that was a head think, scene, man. <laughs> I, I think you learn. You learn. You know, you learn so much about the things that you could and should and don't do. Um, but I think I, I'm grateful that I've had very supportive parents in, in some ways, like, they, I don't think they chose that path. They didn't really want that. Um, and in some ways, they've directed my life in the way that I should go, but uh, they've never uh, led me astray or led me to fail. You know what I mean? So I've always trusted them and also doing the things that I've always wanted to do, you know? So, yeah, they've been they've been supportive. We've been scammed. When I was 13, I got scammed by some fake agency. So And my mom was there to help me with paying for all of that. And then all of a sudden, she said, you know what? You're going to have to wait till you're 18. Yeah. And I wanted it more once I turned, I trained and did what I could. Um, and once I turned 18, I just hit the ground running. Yeah. yeah. I think that's one of the smartest things a parent can do. Like some, some kids, they know right away what they want to do. And they're so sure that the parents support them before they're 18. You know, um, I'm, a, I'm a club volleyball coach and one of my players was um, Eden McCoy. She's in General Hospital. So she's a okay. child actor. Yeah. And I've, I've been, I was her coach since she was 14 years old. And I don't think she's with the club anymore because, like, I think some of these kids, once they get their commitment, they need to spend all their time with their academia and they miss a lot of practice time club or whatever. So I think once she committed to USC at, at 16, um, she either moved on to another club, which is I, or, or whatever. But that's someone who knew right away, boom, this and that. And then some of us don't. I mean, some, I mean sometimes you got to save us teenagers and, and, and you know, like us kids uh, from, from ourselves. Like when I grew up, I thought I wanted to be an accountant. That's ridiculous, dude. I'm not an accountant. Okay. Look what I'm doing right now. I mean, <laughs> if you could ask me five things that I've done in my life, it was anything but accounting. I've done theater. I've done um, coaching volleyball. I'm a color commentator, right? I'm, 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 an, I'm an ex-soldier. You know, I've done two stand-up comedy performances at the Improv and the Oliver in New York. But I'm like, all of those things significantly opposite to accounting. So the reason why I ask is because my mom, my mom's a holy roller. 
All right. My mom is for everyone listening on the podcast at home, because sometimes we talk to each other, but we have to educate the audience too. you know, of stuff that me and you know what we're talking about, but they don't. Um, the type there's certain types of Christianity. <laughs> there is the Lutheran church and the Catholic church where you have the hymnals and you sing the same, you know, you sing the songs and the, and the prayers and the Our Father are ritualistic as, as is communion. And then there's the church that's a little bit more loose. You know, you got the guy playing guitar or whatever and this and that. And then you got the backflips church. You got okay. the side, you got the somersaults up and down, up and down the pews and the aisles, hand raised, just dancing. And that's synonymous with um the judgmental fire and brimstone type thing. Like if you don't know if you're going to heaven or hell, you go going to hell. <laughs> so, so that's my mom, Coney Island Gospel Assembly. That's where I got my voice from. I sang choir. Um, never came to any of my volleyball games. Um, uh, I decided to go back to school for acting. And even more, I mean, it makes you scratch your head even more because, you know, she, and where we grew up, you don't, you don't do the arts. You, you you get your ass a civil service job, get something that you could pay, you could pay your own rent, you know? So, I mean, the whole concept, and you could you can relate to me on this because of how we grew up. Um, a lot of kids, their parents ain't gonna let them do that. They're gonna, you better do something that makes sense. That's why I thought accounting. So finally, Marymount, right? I'm at Marymount and UACT is formed by Ishmael Wilson and Vlad and, and it's called United Artists of Color Theater because there were a bunch of black people, there were white plays and they were casting white kids and, and an occasional token token black person here and there. And they're like, you know, let's just do something on our own. And we took the eighth floor, the eighth floor, I think they're now offices, the eighth floor before you got there was a big space, open space where people were rehearsed, dance, dancers would do backflips. And before that, it was a swimming pool. So I was we, gonna say that. Yeah, yeah. we took the eighth floor that the theater department could not control uh, uh, the student affairs controlled it. And we got the space for four days to do a play called Fucking A. Susan Laurie Parks, she won Pulitzer for Best Drama. She even came, ended up coming to the play along with Susan Watson Turner. And my mom's like, all right, I'll go to your play. And I'm like, oh my God, what? She's never been to anything. She's like, I'm, she's like what's the name of the play? I'm like, Fucking A. She's like, what? Fucking A. <laughs> what? Fucking A. <laughs> Come, no, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't, no. You know, she didn't even like me cursing. <laughs> She's like, is that seriously the name of the play? So she ended up talking to her minister. I don't want to go to, you know, this play. Uh, you know, this is the first yeah. time, the first play, I want to go to my son, watch my son, whatever, and give him, you know, and not judge, not be all judgmental. The play is called Fucking A. <laughs> It tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> yeah. So her minister said go, you know, and she ended up going and she, you know, she knows some people, so she brought some people with her. But um, let's see. I also know you did a voice in GTA, Lost in the Dam. So. Yeah, yeah, voiceover for Grand Theft Auto. Yes, look, um, first of all, you already won. If you did, if you didn't do anything the rest of your acting career... <laughs> You did a That's voice. So you you did a voice in in uh, uh, GTA voice. Uh, Lost in Lost in the Dam. You win. That's a win, dude. Yeah. I, I'm 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 gonna show you something. I got a whole collection of games that I have never played. Let me zoom in on this. Watch this. Uh, uh, all right. There it is. Those are the zoom in on all my games. Down okay. there, right there. Those are all my I games for the yep, three. I see it. Those are all my games for the four. And I have GTA, uh, of course, 
consistent with the, the PlayStation 2. I have GTA 3, 4, 5, San Andreas, Vice City, um, oh. Lost in the Dam, Ballad of Gay Tony. That's my favorite one because that relates more to me, like the salsa, um, uh, uh, salsa merengue scene, the nightclub scene, you know, for that. So so to me, you already won, dude. <laughs> what was your, what was your first acting gig? Oh, oof, ah, ooh, I can't think. Um, uh, what was that? Third grade mm. gig, meaning, you know, it was like, mm. it was a big deal to me. Uh, Sleeping Beauty was the play that we did. And I had spent the year before watching my brother be in this program called Cultural Arts. And he did Babes in Toyland, like kind of like with the Netflix and Cello and the guy, I forget his name, whoever the guy was. With. So they did a remake of it here in the, in the South Bronx. And um, the next year I got to be in a play. And that to me was like the biggest thing because I was like, I feel like I'm walking in the direction of where I'm supposed to go. Paid. How old are you? Uh, how old are you? How old am I now? No, how old were you when you did that? Oh, third grade, what, eight, seven, seven, eight, seven, seven or eight years old. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I had, and I spent that year before mm -hmm. going to my brother's rehearsals and really learning. Like, I was like, and then one day I got to see them do the actual play. And I was like, all that work, all that preparation, all that rehearsal was for this night. I got to see the play. It changed my life. It really did. Yeah. Okay. Let's go adult. Yeah. yeah. Adult. Look. Adult, uh, when I got paid, I don't know, because I don't even know. Sometimes I don't even think I've ever gotten paid. But um, It's like, damn, what are you, a wrestler? <laughs> no, <laughs> I remember back in wrestling and no. make them do shows, and no, they owe so much. About, when you think about how much money you put into this thing with the classes, headshots, it's like you're still, you're lucky if you break even. Um, oh, I can't think of my first acting job. You know, just little background things, but. I feel like that moment where the director asked me to make that face, that was like a real pivotal moment because up until that point, I was just doing little things here and there, but then I got bumped up. And so that was like one of my big, like my, my first acting role. But I feel like I'm just leaving because, you know, there's so many things that lead up to that student yes. film or independent <clears throat> shorts, stuff like that. But yeah, I think that was like the first paid one. Yeah. Look, I've done professional. That was MTV. Yeah. I've done professional and acting work, but the play I just told you, fucking a, probably the mm -hmm. best thing I've ever done in my yeah. entire life. Ishmael Wilson was a director. He was on, on the podcast two weeks ago. Um, okay. He was the director at 20 years old, directing all of these personalities from everywhere. And I'm, you know, I'm 34, 35 at the time. This dude's from LA. This one's from, you know, the the Dakotas. And this yeah. guy just takes a handle on everything and you and everybody looks to him as the father figure this 20 year old yankee hat wearing kid from harlem harlem new york spent some time in the bronx ishmael wilson just and the reason why it's the best play i've ever done is because every single actor that i've talked to that play affected their act their theater psyche in terms of the kind of work they want to do like some people get an acting, oh, I just want to do film. I want to do plays. I want to do straight plays. I want to do musicals. No, um, like a lot of the people that did that play, like three of them are activists right now. You know, they're 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 doing theater performance through activists. One is trying to raise awareness for the LGBT, you know, TQ uh, community. She's a um, um, lesbian. That's Rachel Perez. She's she's in um, the Bronx right now. She lives in the Bronx oh, right now. It's so crazy that so so many talented people are just walking right by each other. I got I got to do a, I got to broker some meetings of the minds with you. Um, 
And every single actor that I talked to, it affected the, the kind of theater or film that they wanted to do from that point out. And that was college, dude. That, and that wasn't even mediated by the theater department. The theater department had nothing to do with it. It was such a good play. The people that were doing the TPW in the Boom Boom Room, uh, the, the, for the last show, they ran like hell out, out, out of their show, you know, to catch our last show. Standing room only. We had no tickets left, but we are, you know, theater performers were all the same. So they found a wall. They're like, dude, we'll just stand behind the wall and we won't, we'll be quiet. And I'm, I'm like, this is, this is magnificent. And then, and the reason why I'm bringing it up because it's, uh, I'm hoping that it'll inspire something that, 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 that you've done. Like you said, you've, you have this, you know, this path or a particular play or whatever that's going to affect you like that, Eric. So. No, I'm just thinking to myself, like, that's no different than, like, historically speaking, how marginalized groups have had to come about and create, you know what I mean? And sometimes, most times, something better than what would be, like, the status quo or something that would be something that would be showcased in, with, with a broad and general audience, if that makes any sense, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that doesn't mean that the quality of the yeah. work is any less, mm -hmm. because sometimes you'll see in that rawness, you'll, you'll get a lot more. You know, you get a lot more, but um, and that's what I think that that opportunity was over at Marymount for the students that were a part of. You said you act because I yeah. heard about it. I think yeah. by the time that I was in, like when I was there, I think it was kind of not fading away, but I don't think I don't remember it that much because I know I probably didn't yeah. join. Well, the but, majority um, the majority of them were um, after my graduating class. The most talented class in Marymount that I've seen was the 2008. Uh, my, my class is good or whatever. And in Marymount, every class is good. But the guys who were out there who were doing straight work, um, Ishmael gave me a name, girl that was part of our play, who's up for a Tony Award for Tina, Tina Turner. Yeah. You know, funny story about her. So I told you yeah. I worked in a lot of different capacities in production. Please. And one day I had to go pick up some actors over in, out of all places, Yonkers. And... This girl comes in and she was really nice, really pleasant. She sat in the front, we're talking. I think we touched a little bit about Marymount and then that was it. I, then she ended up getting chosen for the project, for the pilot, but it never came out to air. And the next time I see her, she's Tina Turner. I'm like, that's yeah. life. And she's you know up for I mean? a Tony and she's probably yeah. going to win. Good. She's probably going to win. <clears throat> she deserves it. You know Marymount I mean? is, um, they had this magazine that said the fast the seven fastest way to the tony awards marymount was number two on that last week oh, wow. we've had people wow. um and the crazy thing they're only only two were part of the theater program they're just people who are directors people who are communications majors who are also theater performers um many people in your demographic just people putting putting in straight up work right away <laughs> you know they yeah. didn't want they, who, who the hell wants to wait till they graduate well you know let's do it now so um Comedy. You did the Ice House when you when you're here in California. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. A friend of mine here in New York. <clears throat> I was putting up little pieces that I had done out in California, and he's like, "You gotta go to the Ice House." No, no, no. You have to go to the Ice House. And I was like, "It's in Pasadena." I'm like, "I'm not even from. I'm all the way in LA, and it's not that far of a ride." And I enjoyed the ride, but I was just like, "Okay, let me go." And I think I had done a little research. I was like, "Okay, something is predominantly Hispanic um, area." Well, from where, wherever I was at in terms of the ice house. So I was like, okay, let me just believe that. And then I kind of created this small little set. I said, let me keep it real. I talked about um, one of my favorite singers, Selena, who's a Mexican-American singer who passed away at a very young age at the, at, through gun violence, somebody yeah. that was considered a friend and fan. Yeah. So I talked about that. And I was like, let me do that because I had been doing musical comedy. And I was like, I want like standing up, playing the keyboard, singing music. And people like that. But I was like, I want to do something different. 
I think it was probably one of my best shows. Yeah, yeah, because it came from a real place and people just got it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And people don't expect me to be able to speak Spanish. My family's from Honduras. I think Spanish was like kind of my first language. So people don't expect that. So I play around with that and it was a great show. I loved it. Yeah. I mean, did it help you? Because sometimes a comedy, once you have emotional investment in the audience, they're going to laugh at anything you say. <laughs> or you fall apart. I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah. you know, especially with music, I always tell people, I don't think people know how difficult it is to do musical comedy. And I'm up there playing the piano, the songs, because if you miss... You know, if you're doing a set and you talk, you can kind of figure your your rhythm out. But with music, you got to stick to the lyrics. Or I mean, you can kind of freestyle it, but you want it, to. It's a lot harder to come back if you lose your train of thought. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. If there's any coming back. <laughs> Look, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If there's any coming back. But you're yeah. right. Like once you get the audience, they'll work with you. But it, I never rest on any of it. I never rest on just like you. you constantly have to work. You know what I mean? Because there's somebody that's better, probably, and you just have to keep at that. But once you got them, I never think like that because I'm like, at any moment, you can lose it. Any moment. Yeah, because I've been there. I've been there where I've done shows and I'm like, okay, somebody laugh. But (laughs) yeah, it gets bad. Like, I've I've had that. Yeah, but then you learn from it. You know what I mean? Then you go to the next one. I remember there was a guy named... um comedian he was on deaf uh, deaf comedy jam this is like early 90s and um he says um he was talking about homosexuality or whatever and it just made people uncomfortable and then he goes um hey i'm not gay my husband is and he starts laughing and i'm so paul my husband is where does he get it from and then no one says anything so he goes so um anyway and then everybody just starts laughing and there's like this eruption there's a tremor and then this eruption of laughter and everyone just starts clapping and he's like <laughs> i'm sure that's not how he planned it you know but um but, but I, I love think the way he, he, oh god no no i was gonna say i'm sure that's not how he planned it but some, there's something about the moment you know you just kind of go with it and i think like me i was voted uh class clown in high school so i've always had like this funny thing about me and I've always wanted to be funny, but I think that the, in in some ways, the worst thing you can do is want to be funny when it comes to comedy. It's Jeez. almost like just be there, so, tell the truth, and whatever happens, happens. God, does that apply to so many other things in life? You just like you said, comedy. I give you straight acting. I give you musical theater. Hell, I even give you volleyball. Like like you, uh, I tell my players, you can't be on the court with the intention to be good. Otherwise, you'll never be good. You, mm. You're you're in rehearsal. We call it practice, right? Um, you're getting your reps in. You're comfortable with your reps. With a second nature, where you don't think about it, you got to do it. And now that's your action and objective, uh, right? And then mm-hmm. your, your tactics, whatever, expect, uh, obstacle, and your expectation is the net result is winning, right? So with the, with comedy, you were just talking about the expectation is funny, but it's never your intention. Your intention is just to deliver. And and of course, like you say, maybe get in the lab, maybe lab it out certain certain other spots before you put it on full blast. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, that's what I loved about LA because the, the energy and the fact that you can go to one open mic or one club and do something and then people are just like, all right, we're off to the next one. 
like, and then you're like, wait, where are you going? They're like, oh, we're going to this uh, this spot or whatever. And you go. And it was just a part of the culture. For me, New York is nothing like that. Absolutely not. No. Um, it's, it's not. It's not. No. But um, I miss that because yeah. that energy is like, that's what gets you to the next level because you have to be able to work out the kinks in your material. And for me, that's not something like, I think through social media, I've been kind of not spoiled. I've been spoiled and kind of punished because you don't get that instant reaction. But I'm like, okay, you get that delayed because you figure out what kind of hits a little bit later on. Mm -hmm. But when you go to a comedy club and you're there, you get to work material. You get to see like, okay, does that work? And you get to live in the moment. You There's no editing in a comedy. Well, you can't, I mean, yeah. it's because comedy is the last bastion for uh truth it's the last bastion of self-honesty um conveyed in, in a way where guys are thinking out loud to find out what works and what doesn't to find out what's maybe offensive to whatever culture i have or what have you or, or, or not right um yeah. i was just i just had a podcast my boy james barker he's a he's a club coach right yeah. and he is a kind of this republican space ranger right so my, I got another friend, Greg Faulkner, fam, whole family leans left. Me, I'm a centrist snob, all right? Um, and digital media gives you every reason to make the three of us enemies. Every time we see each other, you know, if we have time on our hands, you know, I mean, because there are people that have time on their hands that just do research and, and just argue and bang at each other. Digital mm. media gives us permission to hate and not love. Digital mm. media gets, gives us permission to take 19 things you just did right and one you did wrong and be like, well, what was the wrong thing? Because it's uh, it's already in our human nature to be like, wow, if he got a 95, which question did he get wrong? But it's mm. not in human nature for us to harp on it. That needs a push from something else. Where <clears throat> finally, James, I just told you, Greg and me are all in California for a, a AAU, athletics, amateur athletics convention for the teens. And we go sing karaoke and, we, and, and we're in the same room and all we want to do is give each other a fucking hug. All right. So <clears throat> digital, me digital media, and maybe uh, you're going to take the, the, the steering wheel from me when, in terms of comedy, but digital media, media always seems to magnify the negative. You're going to have people say, hey, Eric, congratulations, you did your thing. Like you, you, like you would post a commercial like on, on your social media, right? Whatever. You'll get like 30 comments about how much everybody likes you. And one guy, one guy would be like, ah, I've seen better. Who's, who's the one that's, that's going to leave a sting? right it's the guy yeah you're not yeah. i mean and he and we want to as human beings we want to to tell each other don't read all don't read all the reviews and don't freaking ingratiate yourself with people who are just negative all the time you know and i hate that it gives that people that much power right because if they finally say something nice about you wow even he thought it's good like like all of a sudden he's the gold fucking standard to begin with and he's not so in terms of comedy and, and just your delivery and, and putting it and putting it away. How hard is it to tune out in real time? I'm talking not, not digital media. I'm talking live. Uh, um, do you notice a, a distinctive difference between digital, things that are written, things that are presented, and things that are live? The floor is yours. Um, what I appreciate about digital is that I get a time to, I get the time to actually really put my ideas to work right i can fine tune it i can craft it i can <laughs> use my imagination um i can use like now TikTok things like that that allow me to create a background so i appreciate that 
there's nothing like a comedy. Uh, uh, there's nothing like a, a comedy room, like where you're there. It's quiet. <sighs> Meaning, it, hopefully, it's not quiet. But what I'm getting at is that you, the attention is on you and what you have to say. It's not like they're there to watch what I'm wearing. They're there to hear what I have to say. So I'm like, okay, what do I want to say? There's you can't replicate that. You can't do that instant laughter or that instant um, cough because you you know you can't you can't take like you can't get that anywhere else. I mean, some people have the power to silence a room. I've seen a lot of that in my lifetime, but um, but when you make people just laugh, and especially now, like I think about what it would be like to do a comedy show now and all the things that people are expecting you to talk about and all the things you're like, you know what, we won't touch that just because I don't want to, I don't want to wear you out. I want to make you think, but I don't want to stress you out. I want to actually make you have a good time, make you laugh, make you think. And that's it, you know, and other mediums, when I think about it, I don't know, but I, I've been grateful to social media because it's been, or the digital um, world, because it's, it's a way to, to showcase to a large group of my uh, large group of people. Sorry. And somebody from, from, I'm here in New York, somebody in LA can see me where I couldn't do that if I was, you know, if I had to depend on getting on a flight, going to LA, I would wear myself out, you know, and yes. that's just the flight, but I work, uh, I have a life and other things and it's just, it would be too much, but I can do it through social media. So I never really get to take a break. And in some ways I'm really appreciative of that. Hell that yeah. Makes no, it makes yeah. complete Apparently sense. Uh, let's just put it this way. When the doors are locked, digital media allows people to look out their window. <laughs> I right? agree. Like, look, there's a lot of comedy, we right? There's home. a lot of closed doors and performing and, and, and theater. We were quarantined. That's yeah. all we can do. Yeah. We could all, we, we would go, you know, on Netflix, we'd watch comedy, we'd watch TV, but it's not like we were around each other. You no. know what I mean? And in some ways, that's still the case. But um, comedy's my lifesaver, man, these days. I, I, I comes in spurts. I watched Dave Chappelle, um, this 30 minute YouTube clip of just like his maybe 10 funniest bits or whatever. I was crying. If you oh, saw me crying, uh, if I had a trophy in my hand, you would have thought it was like an Oscar acceptance speech. <laughs> it was Oscar Thank acceptance you. speech tears, dude. Like, Thank oh, you. you really do love me. <laughs> it was this dude had me crying on some oh, inappropriate, inappropriate ash man on some stuff where he said it and the crowd can't believe he said it like and they're like, he's funny, but he's probably going to be canceled next week. Mm. And he is. I have like top my top five people that cancel culture came after, but they can't. But they're made men. They're the only the only thing Dave Dave Chappelle could do is shoot a five year old, and I mean I, I mean that's that's the only thing that's gonna get him canceled. He the guy can say what he wants because he because one he always brings it back. Yeah. Two, you never know you you know in your heart of hearts, none of it comes from a place of vitriol and 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 hatred or yeah. or unfounded moral moral hierarchy or superiority. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's where we all need to be. I think we need to take these things that people take so seriously, poke fun at it, embrace it, because at the end of the day and face to face, like I said, all we want to do is give each other a freaking hug. You know, <laughs> Ro Rogan's another guy that 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 cancel culture has been coming after because, well, first of all, he's he's not lefty or righty. So depending on who he's talking about, are the ones that are coming after him. So. The last few few months, it's been the left. So, and and um, I don't want to get political, but when someone says inappropriate things about the left, uh, they're ten times more likely to be canceled than 
the, the left roasting the right. That's just how um, um, digital, um, that's how the tech industry set it up. That's how Hollywood set it up. And, and me as a centrist who, who you know, who, uh, um, who sh should have ran for president himself before these two guys, um, it doesn't come from this. I, I, I promise you, it doesn't come from an unbiased, uh, it doesn't come from a biased place. I, I don't, you know, I really don't care about that stuff. But, but don't you, don't you appreciate the importance of comedy right now? During this COVID and era. I was thinking um, while you were talking about Dave Chappelle, that one, he's a legend, right? And also, yeah. he's also educated and and his parents are educators. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is he's able to, sometimes you have to be able to see things in multiple perspectives in order to kind of reach the audience and also convey what you're trying to say, but from a deeper level. Mm -hmm. Like his stuff has another meaning to it. And, and I can't go any further than talk about one of my all-time favorite comedians, Paul Mooney, who just recently passed. Yeah. Um, shout oh, out to Paul Mooney. Yes. Yeah, I feel like he's one, he's like my comedy grandfather because mm. I don't think my style is similar to his, like where he always talked about race. But I feel like I watched something in him. Like I used to watch comedy, Comic View growing up a lot. It was a show on BET with stand up comedians. And the, so I loved that. But it was something about Paul Mooney just saying it how it is, being unapologetic that kind of spoke to me. And I was like, when I first did comedy, I tried to be cute. I was like, oh, let me talk about this and the differences and that. And, and then one day I was just like, don't worry about people liking you. Yeah. Start talking about people who in the are, room. You know are, what I mean? Yeah. Talk about people. Yes. Talk about you. I'm going to talk about you and let you know how you are. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that Joe kind of, Torrey was famous for that. Something. Yep. Huh? No, I said Joe Torrey was famous for that. Hey, what's but up with it, you? Yeah, for I, me, it worked. Yeah. You know, and it's not yep. about being rude. It's just about being a mirror or real within reason you know what i mean but um but i i appreciated that approach a little bit more and i found more success doing it that way yeah, but yeah shout out to paul Moon. who are your uh three of your favorite community uh com comedians i'm not gonna ask you to list your three favorite because sometimes you're like you always feel like you're leaving someone out but the first three comedians that come to your mind when i say three of your favorite comedians regardless of timeline um oh okay okay so there's this mooney right cool. do we got do i assume mooney's one um mooney's mooney one, right? probably number one george lopez okay george lopez is a really good comedian to me and and they don't don't ask too many questions why but you know who i really appreciated ellen I why no <laughs> but you know what because like i watched her netflix mm -hmm. thing and i've watched her stuff over the years i appreciate mm. like and she would probably find this as an insult but how simple her stuff is she talks about everyday simple life and just makes it funny and she's not somebody that's like like bulg or anything mm. like that i don't i don't curse in my comedy i've wanted to explore that but i don't do it i um, like that a female comedians in your top uh somewhere near look, your top three in a male dominated yeah you know what i mean i can say like yeah i can say a lot of different names and i need to get back into it and mm -hmm. really watching it but that list would be so long steve yeah. harvey like a lot of other just oh my god yeah, steve harvey yeah yeah i yeah. saw him in deaf comedy jam first performance dude he was like he's like i was watching tv and they said we're pleased to bring, we're pleased to bring you america's favorite sport the america's cup he said who the hell to check did they check with on that <laughs> Oh, America's Cup. He yeah. says, I don't know about you. He said, but for us black folk, we lost our taste for sailing 400 years ago. Okay. <laughs> and he took, he pointed a white couple. That's a little slavery humor. We're just trying to say, if we get on the boat, we want to know where it's going. And more importantly, 
when it's due back. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that was a bit I liked from him. But um, my three favorite, um, not absolute favorite, but prisoner of the moment. Since we're you were we're this whole episode is being prisoners of the moment. Uh, yeah. Richard Pryor. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Robin Harris. R.I.P. Nineteen ninety. He's the one that did the baby's kid thing. And I think he wasn't alive long enough to do the cartoon, but he was, if you go back, just maybe YouTube or whatever, Robin Harris, he's amazing. I would put it up now, but um, I don't want him to take my podcast down. I was going to put a clip up, but I don't know about, you know, copyright stuff. My third one, um, Joey Diaz. Okay. Joey Diaz is this raunchy, like you know deep voice like yeah hey, how you doing cocksucker you know like that like um the thing i liked about joey diaz because i don't think he authentically remembers names and the way he describes people it just makes you laugh it's like okay it's that like i'll give you an example oh uh, yeah who, who who's that guy who's that guy with the one nut ro- 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 riding the fucking bike what what, what, what was his name like, uh, oh, oh armstrong 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 he's just the dude yeah. he is he makes you if you're in a club live you are holding on to the the armrest or whatever or the bottom of mm-hmm. your seat and you're like this you're like on, on an amusement park ride you're like this dude so i'm gonna give you an example and i need an, I, I need an answer uh, a comparative answer right um i'm talking to lauren bacall another r.i.p I'm, I'm i'm sitting with her and we're having a conversation and she talks about either herself or another actress that did 100 performances, right? And the first five performances, there's a certain way that she asked for the sugar for her tea that made the audience laugh, right? For the next 90 performances, no laugh, no reaction, no nothing. The last five performances, people started laughing again. And when I asked, what did you do or what did she do? Um, she said, I asked for the sugar and not the laugh. And my question to you is, how connected is that kind of approach uh, to comedy? How much How much could you, you as a comedian, take that? And how much of that is not a mixture? How much of that is not necessarily so go? I think that sometimes, like I was reading, I, I remember reading something where some comedians time themselves. They're like, got to get a laugh every <laughs> what is it 10 to 15 20 seconds or something like that and that to me is where it becomes like a little bit more work if if it shouldn't take you that long to set up a joke and everything like that but you can't i can't focus on that i have to focus on what's the truth what makes me like kind of chuckle but what's the truth what is the real in this moment you know what i mean because if you can kind of get that then mixed with an element of surprise mixed in like if i'm doing music like kind of catchiness and and some sort of rhythm to it um if i'm doing if i'm doing stand-up comedy there has to be something like kind of controversial i feel like that kind of helps um i don't know but it's like a recipe and i can't really put my finger on it but i know when i have it and sometimes like let's say for instance if you go to do open mics and workshop your material sometimes that can be hurtful because not hurtful but like because now you're in a room full of other comedians and nobody laughs more quietly than a, another comedian. It you is, know what I mean? Like, yeah. like people, like comedians will hold back because, like, yeah. unless you know or that's what Whitney Cummings said. She's on Rogan's like, podcast. Yeah, I'm she's, not about to like, laugh at you. There's nothing joke. more terrifying than doing comedy in a room full of comedians, dude. But if you can make comedians <clears throat> laugh, yeah. And if if some if in some way you can make them like you, which that's not mm. what you're there for. You're more worried about the audience. But it's mm. happened to me where I'm doing an open mic and the comedian, like when I went to LA 
like the comedians would, because I would always talk about being from the Bronx. And I don't know if that got to people, but they'd come back to me. They was like, oh, I like your stuff or you're good or you just got out here. Good luck and all that. And that was helpful. You know what I mean? So all of that is just really helpful in, in, in terms of being a comedian. You know? yeah. I think you have it, you know, and then yeah. you just kind of develop it. Well, the old saying is, if you can make a comedian laugh, you've arrived. And but then, in, <laughs> but then on the other hand, uh, speaking for someone who doesn't do a lot of comedy, again, I've only done two shows, and that was in my teens. That and that, and I'm 50, so that that might as well be two lifetimes ago. Yeah. But something a comedian well, you might made la- me laugh all day. So, but something like good. a comedian might laugh. <laughs> some a comedian might laugh at. I'm gonna drink to that. Some a comedian might laugh at um, may not be funny to an audience member, maybe an audience member who's easily offended, which I I, I disqualify because they shouldn't be at comedy shows, or just something where someone's like, ah, ah, a little insensitive, but that was okay, you know, and this and that, like, like, um, Rogan actually said his last birthday, um, I forgot who it was, Bill Burr, or, um, or Ari Shafir gave him a birthday cake that said, happy birthday, faggot. And, oh. he, and he couldn't, like, when he told Whitney, they they cracked up for, like, 15 straight seconds because mm. it's something where they know someone, something where the F word is flung in an affectionate way and, not again, not in a disrespectful way and not in a way to make one feel more morally superior or inferior. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those things where, where I grew up, it was, it had nothing to do with being gay. You know, and now you have to watch how you say it because it has everything to do with being gay and, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and being gay and being beat up and being ridiculed in this country is, is a real thing, right? Oh, yeah. you, you, right? You know, I mean, uh, this is why white people don't get to use the N-word, not even in a rap song, you know, in the privacy of your own home, right? You, you hear some Dr. Dre, you get your N on, but you better make sure nobody else is around. You're going to get, you're going to get a two piece, a three piece and a soda. So, um... Yeah, but that's that's the challenge. Certain, certain things that other comedians might might find funny, like Joe and Whitney were cracking up. I even laughed because I'm from the, I'm from a different time period, you know. So, um, wow, yeah, that was that that's those. I mean, again, it is stressful being in a room full of comedians. I mean, I, mean, about, I will say know. that I, I what I like is because I go to let's say a comedy show mm-hmm. as somebody in the audience right. and. Sometimes I feel like people get a little carried away with what they say and how they say it. Maybe I'm one of those people that are sensitive and like, but I don't think people should feel exactly like what you said, like where there's a level of superiority or somebody's talking about, but sometimes it turns into that. And I'm just like, let's just keep it like funny, but everybody's levels are different. For me personally, yeah. I wouldn't find something like that funny just because like you said, the connotation behind it, mm-hmm. um, people that have lost their lives because of feeling less than, but I could understand how people have that kind of relationship, how it's not a big deal. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like, I don't know. I feel like in my in my world, I would use other language and right. not necessarily talk about somebody's sexuality, but just talk about like, I feel like I'd find something else. You know what I mean? Like I, I would, but I don't know. I'm just- I think Chris I'm, Rock said it too, like in that Kill the Messenger, like in context is everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Context is I everything. Agree. And listening to the entire thing. Um, um, I mean, if someone's going to use that, him saying that one time is a straw man argument. Yeah, I say have at it, but context is everything. Like, you know, I'm, I hate to talk about Rogan again, but he he pretty much is on the news talking, saying that um, sooner or later, what like white people won't have a voice, you know, whatever. They're going to be ridiculed for everything they say. And they took that little bit and all of a sudden it's on CNN and this and that. And I'm like, 
if they only listen to 20, it's a three hour podcast and you don't even wow. need to listen to the whole podcast to know that they took what he said out of context. That's yeah. not, that is not what he meant. What he meant was, you know, there are c protected classes of people because of the ridicule and this and that. And sooner or later, the, the only unprotected class left is going to be white males. Um, and he went through a, a list, a demographic of people who've been ridiculed, Jewish people, this and that and that. So they took the one thing he said about white people and made it as this, as this reputation, this um, representation of his whole argument. And I thought that was bullshit. I thought that was unfair. I thought that was, we call that a straw man fallacy taking one yeah. part of your whole argument, you know, like, like, um, like, if you ever seen Bad Boys, Bad Boys 2, yeah. Will Smith, Martin Lawrence, yep. remember when Martin Lawrence is like, you you know, you need, you, you need to, you, to chill, you know, he says, maybe you didn't get enough attention, maybe, you know, maybe your mama, maybe your mama didn't, you know, uh, didn't give you, didn't breastfeed you or whatever, and Will Smith is like, that's the last time you're going to talk about my mom's, you know, uh, yeah. uh, you know, Tata, and he's like, that's what I'm talking about. Everything I just said to you, the only thing you got out of it was to was, was <laughs> so, yeah, so like but that. that's an example right. of but like everything I what did that what, uh, this whole thing, the only thing you got out of it was that. <laughs> Come yeah. on. So yeah, so um what's up this year? What's what's you got a project that you can't talk that you can't talk about that's none of my business? No, everything is your business. It's all good. Mm -hmm. I appreciate the, the the love and support and you've always been a really good friend and just somebody that's supportive. And I don't just, it might sound like, oh, I'm just saying that, no, 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 the proof is in the pudding. I went to LA, I didn't know yeah. anybody. And I think about when we, the time that we got to hang out and everything like that. And I thought that was cool. And- Wasn't that um, so random? But, Wasn't that like so random and fun? <laughs> yeah, but like, that's probably the best, like that's always the best ones. Like when it's just kind of like, all right, let's 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 see if we find time to hang out and we hang out and then, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, That was great. Um. But in terms of what I got going next, look, I'm in school right now. I'm in grad school. I'm trying to finish. Good for you, man. Um, COVID's the perfect time to finish grad school, man. Look, let me tell me about it. I hmm. think it's a good time, but it's also a challenging time. You know what I mean? Because you start um, thinking about your priorities. You start thinking about reevaluating things. Um, also, I don't know. I, I chose this time. Actually, it'll be. Uh, it was last year that I started, but I chose that time just because I was like, there's probably no better time than the present. But um, but I'm also supposed to be working on another project. We're supposed to be shooting not too long from now. Um, so we're looking forward to that. But I don't I don't know. It's kind of up in the air because you know how things go and with everything that's going on. It's just all over the place sometimes. But um, but I like not saying too much because then people hold you to it. But um, but it's supposed to be a really good role. I think I think everything has led me to this. Mm -hmm. Has led me to this. All so the hard excited. work, yeah. I trust me. I know. Like I'm, as you know, I've been playing volleyball. Well, I'm, I'm retired from playing, but I've been playing for almost thirty plus years. I've been coaching for twenty one, and I've been doing color commentary for like six. So, <clears throat> I get a gig coming up next Monday. I'm going to New Orleans. Nice. Uh, um, color commentary for coconut beach the avp and coconut beach are doing a co-promotion and the avp is bringing like everyone they're bringing the mc they're bringing the refs and when the conversation happened you know came about about color commentator the senior partners at um coconut beach said they wanted me so they had like all these other options and they're like nah we want jason and i was just like dude when they called me it was april fool's day 
So when they call me, <laughs> you know, I mean, how's that for a comedy bit? Like, they call me on April Fool's Day. I'm like, before you say anything else, <laughs> I got feelings. Okay, <laughs> today's April first. So, so you need to tell me now if this is if you if you playing with me right now. Please, please don't please don't play with me. Please, please, dude, don't play with me. So he's like, no, no, Jason, calm down, calm down. Jason almost smacked me through the phone. So, and it's a great conversation. Oh, congratulations, dude. Um, you'll appreciate this. The argument was star power versus best man for the job for you for film are there people with bigger names than you yeah right um so now it comes down to do we do we get this guy because he's going to attract more people or we do do we give this kid a shot because he's uber talented and 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 it and you know what and if he does what i think he's going to do it's going to his his ship is going to uh, his rising tide is going to lift all ships around him so um, I really hope, I guess the reason why I even brought that up, I'm Kanye West in this. I'm bringing it back full circle, right? I'm taking something that don't make no sense, but it does at the end. <laughs> no, it but it does sense. at the end. That's his genius, yeah. right? He takes something like, I'm talking about Bruce Lee getting, you know, whatever, dead. But, um, no, but I think the connection, yeah. No, but I think the point I was trying to make is you what what you think is coming up could be what, you, what, you've, been, what you've been working for and what you've been waiting for. And now... You know, as far as place at the table, man, you just go out in there and do your thing, man. Always, you know. And and I want to say that at the end of the day, you don't have to sacrifice everything. <clears throat> and I know that sounds crazy because that's yeah. all we learned that in this actor's world, comedian world, that you have to sacrifice. No, you can still keep your job. You can still go to school. You can still like you can do a whole bunch of other yeah. things. And then I have a really good friend. Her name is Pernell Walker. She's okay. like on this show on Showtime. She's always working, and she does. She also has her life. You know what I mean? And yeah. I'm like, I don't need to be this big Hollywood actor. I just need to yeah. be somebody that gets to express himself in that capacity as many times as I want to. You know, that to me is success. Yeah. When you can was Pernell in the want. Shy? What you said? The Shy? Was she in the Shy, Pernell Walker? Oh, I can't remember the name of the show. And she, she would kill me. I, it's new. It's on Showtime. Is it Mr. Mito's on Flatbush? No, 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 no. Because you should have been in that, dude. <laughs> you should have been in that. See, check that uh, out when you get the chance. Mr. Mina's on, Mr. Mina's on Flatbush. Come on, guys, sorry. No, no, no. I'm tempted to look really quick, but I think it's uh, Kevin Bacon is on the show. If, if no, oh, this, mm, I can't remember. I can't, I can't. And I'm so bad with shows, names and stuff like that. But I know that she's an actress who's really out there. She has her job on the side and, you know, and, and that's the way I, I emulate my career. Like, cause I had this job that I've been really good at and they've been good with me. And you know, I've been there for four years and I'm not planning to leave them or go anywhere. But at the same time, you know, some people get their vacation time and they go to Dubai. I just want to be on set, you know? Nice. So yeah. uh, here's a fan question. What's your favorite movie featuring headlining a rapper? <laughs> headlining a rapper? Oh, this is going to sound so cheesy. Uh, get rich or die trying, and or why? It's fitty, that was, right? Like, first, huh? Is that fitty? Yeah, 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 yeah. Get rich or die trying. I was I was supposed to be an extra in it, and I was, but I was nowhere to be found in the film. But I also like the film. Yeah, in prison. I like song, New Jack most, City. Huh? I like New Jack City. Okay, got Ice T, Judd Nelson, um, on Wesley Snipes, he was Nino Brown, drug dealer. Um, of course, I like me some um, Eminem. I love me some Eight Mile, and I know people oh, people don't want to go that because this alternate thing became mainstream that people think it's not hip to say they like it. But I, man, I love me some Eight Mile, dude. So that was a good movie. I felt inspired. Dude. I think people listen to that soundtrack mm -hmm. and really feel yeah. good about it. Yeah. Oh hell yeah, everyone on that. I mean, Fiddy was on that soundtrack with him. Uh, that song, Love Me. You know, uh, um, this rap game that was a good song on that soundtrack. Um, Jay Z, Eight Miles and Running. 
Jay Z's my favorite oh. rapper of all time. Who's your favorite rapper? Well, I'm, on, favorite I'm not on this rap <laughs> crap. I'm on this rap shit. I was shit. thinking, I can't. Busta Rhymes. Busta Bust Rhymes. He's such yeah, a good yeah. freestyler too, dude. Yeah, yeah. Busta he's such Rhymes. a good was... like he's such a good artist and freestyler. He, he can boom off the top of his head. Mine is Jay Z and KRS One. That's a two oh, horse okay. two horse race for me. A little bit of big fun in there too. Like I do musical yeah. comedy in that rap. Mm-hmm. So those are a lot of my influences. I could be here all night talking about who I pulled from. Oh man, yeah, it's a combination of people. Oh my God, those are if they questions. make a movie off of a documentary, which which um which if they make a movie off of a documentary, which which one would you want to do? That's I don't understand that question. Um, oh, that's a hard one. Let's see. Oh, okay, got it. Um, okay, so I was a big fan of Tiger King for some reason last year. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they could, they, I think they're going to turn that into a series, so it's not that far-fetched. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm onto something, but um, that was good. And I think the guy, uh, Joe Exotic, he's, like, suffering from uh, some sort of cancer now. So I'm like, wow, that's it's sad, mm-hmm. you know? But um, I know that's kind of, like, joking, and that's probably not the answer that you wanted to hear. No. Nah. Look, that's the first thing that came to me. Well, first yeah. one that came to me, and, and it's dark, um, Khalif Browder. If they ever did a, a movie about him, That's Khalif Browder, I mean, uh, ed- again, you might know, but educating our audience, this is the guy that got arrested for stealing a backpack, allegedly stealing a backpack at 15 years old. The DA says, cop to the plea, you get to go home. But this kid said, I didn't steal any black backpacks, so they send him to Rikers. Mm-hmm. And they file a motion for continuance for his trial and another continuance. And I think there were like five or six continuance. This kid wound up in jail for almost three years from 15 to 18 years old for a crime he didn't commit without a trial. Mm-hmm. And I guess some judge when he was 18 was like, what the hell is this doing on my desk? You know, um, sentenced to time already served, you know, get him the hell out of here. What the hell is this kid doing? But the whole time he's in jail, I mean, Rikers is like a gladiator academy. I mean, this, those are those are grown ass men. He got beat up. He got, you know, a lot of bad things happened to him. And like a year later, he killed himself. And mm-hmm. Jay-Z, Jay-Z did a um, documentary on it. I forgot what it was called. His name is Khalif Browder. So people yeah, Google yeah. search that, look, look that up at home or whatever. But um, his character is just so... I mean, he's so positive and he's like, he, you know, he always, he still believed in himself, but then there's moments where he's not. He's this extremely flawed human being. I mean, we all are, but this, this person that's up, 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 and then he's down. He's up and he's down and you're trying to figure out why he's down or what, what, what crept into his head that, that got him down, you know? His mom didn't have bail money. I mean, it was only 3,500 bucks, but say only 3,500 bucks to someone in the Bronx, they'll slap me. Um, and... Yeah, Khalif Browder. That's the that was the one thing, you know. I mean, it's weird because you're like a comedy guy, but I think, I think if there was a role you ever, if if they ever make a movie out of that man, you need to audition for that and and take your take a baseball bat and kneecap anybody else that auditions for the same role. Just make sure <laughs> process you, no. of and process knew, of elimination, my dude. Somewhere of substance. No, you're. Yeah. yeah, it reminds me of the Central Park Five. Yes, uh, the Netflix series that came out, like, mm-hmm. and how that was well received you know amongst like just society you mm-hmm. know what i mean and yeah. that story even though it goes back so many years and we've seen that whole story replicated so many times but it was good to finally be able to see it you know on, on the netflix platform and just like make it more something that people could understand today yeah. you know and to, and to hear their stories now 
yeah, so you're right. Something like that would definitely be. And these are the stories that need their attention for all of some of my friends that I, I argue with. They're like, well, if you look at the FBI, uh, numbers don't lie. Like black people commit more crimes, you know, like um, black people commit crimes on black on black 93% of the time and white on white is 84% of the crime and I'm, uh, time. And I'm like, first of all, um, you're not talking about crime. The, the, the FBI file doesn't say crimes committed. It says cr uh, arrest made all right now we both know where you live and where i grew up you're more likely to be arrested for weed and smoking weed in harlem than you are on the upper east side or on the upper west side that's just truth all right Even less that is a truth. widely that is as factually true as an opinion's gonna be all right so of course the arrests are coming up and two 93 percent to 84 percent is not that that's not that skewed a number that's like you saying i'd rather be hit by a mac truck than a bus <laughs> you know yeah he says you're like i got hit by a bus but you got hit by a mac trucks so you're worse than me right i mean one is 83 percent one's 91 that's ridiculous and third black on black crime is exists because they're not out there specifically the, per the people committing crimes are not targeting other black people because they're black there's just it's it's crime of convenience it's not yeah. like i'm rolling up flatbush avenue and i'm like no i think i want to drive to bensonhurst and rob a, an italian instead of a black dude so it's just you know i think more of these instances the central park five uh khalif browder i think some of these people can help other people understand all right because yeah. i don't think people are, are are inherently um um bigoted uh, they just don't understand. Sometimes they just need to see. And then there's some people that are bigoted. Bigoted meaning you're set in your own ways, and that's and that's mm -hmm. it. And that's how you how you want to behave. Okay. These are categories that are repairable. Racism isn't. Racism is a disease because racism is the inherent belief that someone is superior or inferior based on their race. And that's that's, dude. That's just hard to come back from. If someone doesn't consider Eric a person, they they think they could do whatever they want because to them you're not a person. So, um, very very important. I mean, God, I mean to to bring it. I brought it all the way no, no, from no, comedy think, you know, look, to that. I think it's important. Yeah. You know, we can play around. I can talk about Tiger King, but mm -hmm. I think it's so important to take it back. And that's the same things that I try to do with like the pieces because you spoke earlier about you know. What does it feel like when you choose something? And that's why it's so important to me to pick something that I'm going to be proud of at the end of the day. It's not about what I did, what I said, is will I be able to live with this at the end of the day? Yeah. If I can do that, it doesn't matter what I have to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> do, I you do you still say, what will my mama say? <laughs> I don't think that's something wrong. Look, I, look, I don't mm. think there's anything wrong with that to, to a certain extent. And I mm. think that my mom is forgiven and loving, mm. and, you know, but I don't think, I think there's nothing wrong with that, but at the same time, I'm also grown and I have to make choices, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. So I'm going to give you something funny that I said or heard, like at a dinner table, just talking with friends, and and then you're going to give me something back. Ooh. I was at dinner, and we were talking about Bill Clinton, and I met him. I met him at the Waldorf. My my, my boss, who's a cardiologist, got American Heart Association's Physician of the Year. So, um, And everyone, all, all these rock stars are at um, the Waldorf, and he invited me. Even He even got me a tux for it because I didn't even know. I didn't know what a tux and a suit was. Someone tells me someone tells me black tie affair. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm black, and I got a tie. You know? <laughs> no, it's a, it's a tux, you dork. So... But Bill, I said, Bill Clinton has this light shining behind him, right? And uh, metaphorically speaking, and when he moves, people like pigeons to bread, just, they move with him. So the last, the, the punchline for me was, I said, we loved Bill Clinton so much that when that ha that stuff happened with Monica Lewinsky, we blamed Hillary. <laughs> and everyone at the table started cracking up. <laughs>
I think he's gonna stay put. Honestly, funniest yeah. funniest thing that you, you said or heard the last. Ah, uh, give me something. Give me something. Oh my, okay. Ah, um, uh, there's so many. I can't <laughs> look. I was just telling somebody like I had to learn how to be tough. I remember like in the second grade, some girl said, "Oh, that's why your mother's a two dollar hoe." And I remember just like, and I remember everybody just laughing. Like the teachers came out the teachers' lounge to laugh. The lunch lady was laughing, and I was just there like. That to me was, but she was really good. She was funny. That to me was funny. And I learned how to be funny and a little bit, be a little bit tougher after Fatima told me my mom was a two dollar hole. Oh my God. I remember watching wrestling a hundred years ago. John Cena called uh, Lita, wrestler Lita, like uh, um, someone that, that I can just have for one night for 10 bucks or whatever. And, oh, she's, wow. and she says, you know what, John, screw you. And he says, I don't have 10 bucks. <laughs> and she said, shut up, shut up. I was just so hilarious. <laughs> Yo, we got a three hour time difference. And I'm, I, I'm oh, some, at some point, I know you want to get out of here and eat. You know, for me, it's, it's pizza night, like every Thursday. Um, okay. It's pizza night for my family. So every week we take turns on picking a particular joint, a new joint just to try out. Um, oh, good luck. Which, uh, good, you're in L.A. Good luck. <sighs> Yeah, when, you, when you come, I'm going to show you a spot. It's a deli okay. that has a pizza oven. It's called Mickey's Delicatessen. And it is, it is my last bastion of hope for good pizza. <laughs> they, took a, they took a sauce combination from Paisano's, which is also a good pizza. So good pizza by the slice is okay. Paisano's. You, you as a New Yorker, you'll appreciate it. It's like a hard okay. crust. You know how like some pizza joints are hard crust? Uh, mm-hmm. Like they, they, the pizza tastes like overcooked, but it, but it, it at least tastes like pizza, you know, and some pizzas are soft dough. So pizza by the pie is Mickey's, the deli, and pizza by the slice is Paisano's. Um, okay. My birthday is just July, so if you come July, man, we we have, do we have some fun. So you're more than welcome oh, let to me come know. through and let stay okay. Oh, I'm dying yeah. to travel to go back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But before we go, is there a particular site? a website or, or Instagram handle you want people for for all of my volleyball people. I'm, I got volleyball people asking questions, listening to this. I want to know a little bit more so about it. Uh, <laughs> I've never been um, sports uh, sports guy or sports inclined, but yeah. um, volleyball sounds like a little bit of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I always see like the pictures and your videos. I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's good. they're really out there doing it. Yeah, yeah man. So beach good. is fun. Yeah, but my, my handle is HR. TV24, like human resources, but that's not what it stands for. Uh, TV24, HRTV24. Okay. So it's just my my lifestyle page. We talk about comedy, food. Mm. I like to go to the gym once in a, once a year, and, and I like to post that. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that. I go to the gym once a year. Dude, I got to go to one of your shows now. Oh, <laughs> uh, I can't cool. wait. I got to go to one of my shows. I'm just doing it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, I'm going to probably be in New York sometime, hopefully sometime in the fall. We like to go uh, June because the AVP, the Pro Tour, they, the the travel, the the volleyball, the traveling circus, yeah. it goes there in June, which didn't happen because of COVID. But if we mm-hmm. don't go in June, sometimes we like to go in the fall. Autumn, Autumn's nice, Central Park, right? The leaves and all that stuff. Yeah. It's jacket and jeans weather, but it's, yes. you know, you get some real air, you know? All right, people. Eric might love you, but I can't stand you. In fact, I'm out of here. All right. So for I can't all of stand y'all either. <laughs> oh, good. He can't stand you either. So for all of y'all at home, okay. For all of you on your desktop. For all of you on your Droid. For all of you on your iPad or iPhone. This is Eric Ariola. I am Jason DeBiz. This is episode 91 of the Option Podcast. Stay with me. I'm gonna hit my music and we're out. Come check out the Option Podcast on optiondb.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.